Sheep and Men Some years ago in the Intermountain area, when I spoke one Sunday and cited the 23rd Psalm, one rancher remarked after the service that, among cattlemen, Psalm 23 and other biblical references to men as sheep were very unpopular. Sheep, after all, are dirty, stupid animals, and for a cattleman, sheep are the lowest of animals. The cattleman's opinion of sheep has real merit to it, to a considerable degree. Sheep are dirty animals. The common image of sheep comes from pictures of newly born lambs. The wool of sheep becomes quickly matted with dirt, burrs, and dust, and it smells strongly. Sheep, moreover, are helpless animals and need constant watching to protect them from their enemies. Wolves, coyotes, bears, and many other animals will readily prey on sheep unless the sheep herder or shepherd and his dogs are constantly alert. But this is not all. Sheep need to be protected from themselves. They will readily follow the leader into trouble, or, faced with a road or path, begin to follow the trail instead of grazing. Sheep need a shepherd. They require constant care, and they are helpless, dirty, and too prone to follow a leader blindly. This is precisely why God calls men sheep. It is not intended as a compliment, and ranchers who find the 23rd Psalm distasteful are closer to understanding it than urban churchmen who see it as a beautiful psalm and find its imagery entirely charming. Because men are seen by God as very much like sheep in some respects, they need a shepherd. God himself is repeatedly depicted in scripture as the shepherd of his covenant people. Psalm 81, Ezekiel 34:12, etc. Zechariah spoke of the coming Messiah as a shepherd, Zechariah 11:16, as did Isaiah 40:11. And Jesus Christ declared himself to be that good shepherd, John 10.14. Hebrews 13.20 sees him as that great shepherd of the sheep, i.e. as God incarnate. In 1 Peter 2.25, Christ is the shepherd and bishop of our souls. The flock is God's. Pastors are under shepherds. And Christ, God incarnate, is the chief shepherd. 1 Peter 5.2-4. The divine kings of the ancient world declared themselves to be the shepherds of their people, their guardians who controlled and determined their destinies. As shepherds, they assumed the right of total control over their people, and they expected and required total subservience. It was assumed that the people were helpless apart from their shepherd king, and that to be stateless and ungoverned by their shepherd king was the same as being dead or in hell. Very clearly, the Bible portrays men as sheep. The important question is this, whose sheep are they, God's or the state's? If sheep are not governed by a shepherd, they will follow another sheep blindly and to disaster. If men are not governed by God, they will be governed by men. To be governed by God means to be entirely and totally subject to his government and subservient to his word and will. To be governed by the state means ultimately to be the creature of the state governed entirely by and totally subject to the will of the state. Men are sheep, but whose sheep? If men are the flock of God, then they are not only kept in his care, but they are free in their relationship to men, not to be sheep, but to be themselves, free and confident in their own calling. Men were not created by God to be the sheep of the state's pasture. Moreover, men are more than sheep, although the biblical imagery rests on a solid basis. They are created in God's image to be his people. The image of God in man draws man to God, so that, even in his sin, man seeks a God, albeit a false one. St. Augustine said in his Confessions, 
Our hearts are restless till they rest in thee. Every false shepherd appeals to this restlessness and anxiety of man and offers a false hope. When men find their rest, their true Sabbath in Jesus Christ, then they are free to be men, to exercise dominion, to grow in righteousness and holiness, and to gain knowledge under God. They are then not sheep in relationship to other men, but free men in Jesus Christ. They are then freed also from any urge to follow, sheep-like, the dictates of men. The question is closely related to the matter of hypnotism. Estabrooks has said that hypnotism is a special form of direct or prestige suggestion, something to which we are all exposed every day of our lives. In other words, whenever a speaker or authority impresses us with his prestige suggestion, it is a form of hypnotism, even though we have not gone completely and openly under his influence. Marx has held that people can be conditioned to any kind of appeal and will respond wholeheartedly in mass if the appeal is sustained long enough. In answer to the question, what is hypnotism, Marx answers that hypnotism is unquestionably a form of conditioning a triggering of predispositions. Moreover, Marx points out, Hypnotism is induced infantilism. It is regression to the individual's early period of willless safety. The degrees of hypnosis are correlatives of the extent of regression. The hypnotist bears the same relation to the subject a father or mother bears to the child. The subject surrenders his will. He surrenders because the hypnotist recreates a situation for which the subject has an unconscious longing. The hypnotic situation, in short, is a temporary love relation in which the hypnotist symbolizes either the caressing, understanding mother or the all-knowing, all-powerful father. Resistances to hypnosis recapitulate the subject's identifications with or dependencies on parent symbols. Frenchki distinguished mother hypnosis and father hypnosis, the techniques which utilize these opposed symbols. The regressive tendencies of some subjects are associated with maternal patterns. They will respond to stroking, soothing words, assurances of well-being and love. This is the technique of the lullaby, mother hypnosis. Father hypnosis is the command of authority. You are going to sleep. You cannot resist. It is impossible for you to fight it. Sleep. This is a reenactment of the part of the stern father. It says, in substance, I will give you love and protection, but only on one condition. You must obey me. If you refuse, I will destroy you. Intelligence increases susceptibility to hypnosis. People are easy to hypnotize because they have an incurable weakness for authority. The parallels of crowd behavior to the behavior of sheep are rather suggestive. In the panorama of crowd behavior, we can isolate a number or generalities. The first is that a crowd vaporizes the capacity for ratiocination, which its members exhibit when in isolation. The second is that a crowd tends to cast off inhibition. The third is what Hitler's spiritual predecessor, Le Bon, called the thirst for obedience, the yearning to be led. The fourth is the sharp distinction between the behavior trends of led and leaderless groups. Two kinds of people are more or less immune to hypnosis. First, people who are extremely neurotic and in radical rebellion against God, parents, and society are unwilling to submit to any authority and withdraw into a solitary existence which is insanity, finally. In such people, blind rebellion is so far-reaching that it replaces every other aspect of the individual's activities. 
Second, people are immune to hypnosis to the degree that they are truly subject to God as their sovereign Lord and their Heavenly Father. The implication of this godly immunity is that instead of infantilism, which marks the hypnotic subject, whatever his intelligence, the Christian is marked by maturity. Since God is his all-sufficient Heavenly Father, the Christian's relationship toward other people is not infantile, but mature. His dependence on other people is as a mature man, not as a child. The result is a freedom from hypnotism and hypnotic suggestibility. Both the Christian and the non-Christian are suggestible, but in different areas, one towards God, the other towards man. The difference is a very great one and marks the division between infantilism and maturity. To be open to command by man apart from God's law, to be under man's hypnotic suggestions, means to be open to sinful and false leadership. On the other hand, to be open to God's word is to be under the absolute and sovereign God and his infallible word. Our response to that infallible word is, because we are not perfectly sanctified, both at times sinful and fallible, but it is still a response open to correction and growth. Man is a man under God. For the believer who walks by God's word, Isaiah declared, Thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way, walk ye in it, when ye turn to the right hand, and when ye turn to the left. Isaiah 30.21 Of this verse, Young wrote, It is generally assumed that the figure is that of a shepherd who follows his sheep calling out to them. Alexander wrote earlier, The direction of the voice from behind is commonly explained by saying that the image is borrowed from the practice of shepherds going behind their flocks or nurses behind their children to observe their motions. A much more natural solution is the one proposed by Henderson, to wit that their guides were to be before them, but that when they declined from the right way, their backs would be turned to them. Consequently, this warning voice would be heard behind them. The meaning of the call is, this is the way which you have left, come back to it. In brief, those who are God's sheep are men in relationship to men. To be under God is to be free with respect to men, so that even where we are subject to men according to God's word, our subjection is to the Lord and not to man as such. Marx was right. Hypnotism is induced infantilism. Obedience to God is maturity and it is freedom. Not surprisingly, church members and especially ministers who reject Christ as their shepherd and follow either a modernistic or a humanistic pietistic faith are sheep-like in their readiness to follow men. Styles in thought, speech, and dress are solemnly cultivated in the name of relevance. If long hair and revolutionary ideas are the drift of the world, then they join in, claiming that this makes theirs a relevant religion. Some theologians produce sermons, lectures, articles, and books on the portentous import of every youth fad and movement. If tomorrow the leaders of modern intellectual currents would adopt a cultic practice whereby all men and women would walk around with exposed buttocks, these churchmen would follow suit. There would then be solemn sermons and publications on the social and theological significance of bare buttocks, or putting hypocrisy behind us, or bared buttocks, an expose and indictment of the hypocrisy of our times, or prophetic protest, bared buttocks as enacted parable, and so on. These churchmen would parade with buttocks bared and would tell themselves that the protests of members constituted a persecution of bold and prophetic religion. There is no limit to the folly of men who follow man. They are the sheep to be sheared by men. The picture of man in Psalm 23 is radically different. 
The man who makes God his shepherd has the security and protection which only God can provide. He need fear no evil. In relation to God, his attitude is one of confidence and trust, and a willingness at all times to be led by the Lord. In relationship to men, his attitude is radically different. God the Lord, the good shepherd, anoints his own. Thou anointest my head with oil. Psalm 23.5 This is a symbol both of royal and of prophetic anointing. In relationship to other men, the covenant man is thus not a sheep, but a king and a prophet, a free man in Christ. In the presence of his enemies, God prepares a banquet table for him, a symbol of assured victory, ease, and confidence in God's assured government and victory. His cup runneth over, choicest wine is filled to overflowing as a symbol of prosperity and wealth. The man of God is surrounded and followed by goodness and mercy, Psalm 23, 6, all the days of his life. Those who are the sheep of God's pasture are free men and kings among the peoples of the earth. A note needs to be added with respect to the compliment paid to religion, with Christianity in mind, by both Marx and Freud. The compliment came in the form of insults. Both found Christians extensively immune to socialist propaganda on the one hand and neurosis on the other. Marx therefore countered by calling religion the opium of the masses, by which he meant that they had been made immune to socialist propaganda by their faith. Freud explained away the mental health of believers by declaring that such people avoided personal neurosis only by accepting the cosmic neurosis, God. The fact that such nonsense was and is convincing to many people is evidence of their sheep-like qualities. The peevish resentment of Marx and Freud at the resistance by Christians to socialist propaganda and humanistic neuroses led them to heaping on their enemy their own sins.